I'm going to um, put the link into the chat one more time for anybody that needs it again. We're in for a very special treat this morning. Aleph, again, Parshas Kisete, Sicha Beis, Chelek Yotes. It is mitzvah's maka concerning the mitzvah of placing a, uh, a fence or a gate, or I think the fancy English word is parapet, um, around one's roof. Ksiv, it says, Aleph, Kisivne Bayis Chadash, Vasisa Makalagagecha. So Rebbe says, I have two questions. My first question is that in the Torah it says, when you build a new house, you should create or make a parapet, a guardrail, a fence, a gate around the roof so that nobody falls. And the Rebbe says, it's not understood. Why does the Torah say that you have to do this for a new home? But it would seem that this responsibility, that this obligation to build the gate, the parapet, does not only devolve upon a person who builds a new house. It's just as relevant and just as obligatory if you buy an old house and it doesn't have a gate or railing or guardrail or parapet around its roof. So why would the Torah coach it in this terminology and say, when you build a new house, you should make that um, <clears throat> gate around the roof. And in the Sifri, we learn, the Sifri explains why does it say to teach us concerning when the obligation kicks in. That it has to be and that's why the Torah uses the word that it has to be that as soon as the house is built, you have to put that parapet up. You have to put that gate up. To underscore that, for instance, unlike the mezuzah, which you're not to put up until you move in, and then you even have 30 days during which you could put up the mezuzah. So the Safri says that the word bayis chadash, the word new house, comes to underscore that no, this is an obligation <clears throat> that kicks in immediately upon building of the structure. Okay. But the Rebbe pushes back and says, But he says, but still, still the exact terminology of this pasuk, of this verse, is still unclear. It still doesn't compute exactly. Kevan. Rabbi says, I understand. This Sifri is illuminating and, and teaching us a novel halacha that the obligation to put up the, the guardrail, the parapet, um, kicks in as soon as a person takes ownership of the house, even before they move in, let's say. Sometimes people buy a house and then they don't move in for six months or a year. So the Safri is saying, but your of your obligation to <clears throat> create a safe feature around the, around the roof is relevant as soon as you take ownership. But still, Madua Ramaz Hakasuf Hanal, the Mitzis But still, the Rebbe is asking. Why is this alluded to through the specific terminology of a new house? The reason this is problematic is because it leaves us with the impression that this is something you only have to do for a new house. So the Rebbe says, I, I understand what the Sifri is saying. But when the Torah says, 
when it talks about a new house, it still leaves us with the erroneous impression that this is only something obligatory upon a new house, which is not the case halakhically. So that's question number one. Question number two. In the, in, as, as, the, as, as the puzzle continues, so the puzzle provides us with the reason for building this guardrail, installing this parapet. Literally, this means because the faller will fall from it, from the roof. The Inumovanas don't understand. It would seem that the verse is coming to warn us prophylactically about something that might happen in the future. And to obviate this possibility, you need to build the parapet. In Cain, if this is so, so then why would the Torah already use the terminology of the faller? It's just a person. And if you build that gate around the roof, they're not going to fall. So why is the Pasuk saying you have to build it? Because the faller will fall. So the Gemara um, in Shabbos explains the reason why this person is called a nofel, a faller, even before they walked up to the top of the roof, is because the Gemara explains that from on the six days of creation, this person was already kind of um, predisposed or was already earmarked to fall. This person was going to fall. Ella, we have this rule that Hashem brings good things to happen through those who are meritorious, and God forbid, deleterious actions or guilt through one who is already guilty. Meaning, that, um, you know, when it happens that we're able to do something good for someone, and sometimes you might even think, you know, it wasn't even my intention, or it wasn't a big deal. But we have to realize the schus in something positive happening through our agency, that to be a conduit for something positive is in itself a schus. And the same thing is the opposite God forbid if it happens. And so, um, therefore, the Gemara answers this, this peculiar terminology of no fellow, somebody being called a faller, a, a explaining that this person was going to fall. It was just a matter of, you know, through which agency was this going to happen. And that's why the person is called a no fell. Ella, Shemayin is a heavy Rashi with Rosh HaLatera, Mikra, and, and the Rebbe says, and Rashi brings this down on the Pasuk. He brings down this limut from the Gemara. And he brings it down, but the Rebbe says, but again, the Rebbe says, but this, this explanation is not, it's not resonating with me. It doesn't compute. Because the word nofel means lo it doesn't mean that this person is predisposed or worthy of falling or poised to fall. But it's talking about in present that this person is falling. This is describing what's happening in real time. And so it's still really difficult to understand why the Torah would call this person a nofel before they fell if the word nofel in its conjugation implies what is happening now, a faller, as it were. Not somebody who's predisposed to fall, not somebody who's earmarked to fall, but somebody who is falling currently. Those are the two questions. Why bias chadash? Why 
present this mitzvah in exactly these words and these terms, which leads to the erroneous conclusion or impression that you only have to do this for a house that you build that's new when that's not the case. If you take over an old property, you still have to ensure that the roof is safe. And B, <clears throat> why does the Torah tell us that this is to ensure or to, I guess, preempt the falling of the faller and calling somebody a faller when, when they haven't fallen yet. Base. Isa Bapirke de Rabbi Eliezer. Pirke de Rabbi Eliezer explains, Asharatam Shabarakar's Borgos Olam Baofen Kazer, Sharuach Zephonis Lohush Lema. So um, there's this very interesting concept that God created the world in a way that is unfinished with the northern side open, as it were. Kimamar, like we're taught. Olam la'achsadra hudanya. That the world can be compared to a, port, a porch, a veranda. But the northern side of the world is not enclosed. So imagine a wraparound veranda, but it stops short of the northern side of the house. And why did God create the world in this unfinished fashion? If somebody comes and says, hi, everybody, I am God. Yeshiva lo, so then reply to him, Yavo v'yigmars hapina hazosh hinachtihulo. Then say to him, okay, if you're God, why don't you come and complete this northern corner? Let's see what you can do. Prove that you are a deity. Prove that you are God. <clears throat> okay, so this is a very interesting idea. The kavanas hadvarim, and what is the intention of this? Because if this should ever arise, creatures, people who were created, who believe themselves to be so consummate and so perfect that they have no need at all for the creator of the universe and the one who vivifies it, they have no need for something that is above them. So God preempted this possibility by creating us. Ripke, I, I just muted the wrong person. I muted you by accident trying to mute someone else. Just kidding. I'm sorry. It's all good. Okay, you got it? Okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> you have nothing to apologize for. Um, so the Abishta created the world in unfinished fashion. And the, the Abishra created each one of us with a deficit. Why? And we have a deficit or a deficiency that we cannot address on our own. And so by being created imperfectly, we are always reminded that we have necessity for a transcendent power, for something higher than us, that we are not self-sufficient, that we are not perfect, that we are not consummate, that we indeed need help, as it were. So after introducing this idea, <clears throat> the Rebbe says, It's the same thing with our cognition. In order that a person who is a Baal Seichel, every person, I mean, our, our, our distinctive feature is our cognition, is our intelligence. But in order that we should not make the mistake of thinking that we can understand everything with our intelligence, so Hashem instilled in us or vested within us the necessity to depend on things that are supra-rational, meta-rational, 
that are transcendent, that we cannot understand with our own intelligence. Lid dogma, and the Rebbe says, for example, Kedei lohav in dvar in order to understand something, the Rebbe says, in order to understand something, first you have to be able to grasp the initial axioms, the corollaries of whatever discipline that is. And it's only once you master these axioms and you master these rules or corollaries that you're able then through your logic and through your seichel to understand and even to theorize. But these original supra-rational or meta-rational rules are not necessarily something that must be according to logic. And therefore, even in our, with our own cognition, we can feel the lack, we can feel the deficiency and the need to depend on something higher than our seicha. So I knew when I read this and learned this the first few times, that I, I, I did not understand this sufficiently. I understood that the Rebbe was referring to something that I don't know anything about. Um, it has to be something in science or mathematics or in both. Um, so I want to thank Rabbi Dr. Kagan uh, who very, of Muncie, who very, very kindly took his time to uh, share some examples with me. And um, one of the examples he shared has to do with geometry. And he says that for the longest time, there were five axioms, uh, not necessarily uh, logical. In other words, logic would not impel you to come to those corollaries, to those axioms, but those were the five axioms of geometry. That's what it was based on. The fifth um, axiom, uh, having to do with two parallel lines never meeting each other, was dropped in the 18th century. And the new geometry that in fact is the geometry of the world that's called non-Euclidean geometry um, was later proven true by Einstein's theories. But it wasn't known at the time that in fact, this was going to be proven. So in other words, you have this whole discipline and, and there are many other examples, he says, in science and in math where you have a discipline and you have certain axioms that you have to accept you just have to accept them. And then once you accept them, then there are all kinds of suppositions and theories and, and, uh, and examples and so on and so forth that you can theorize out of those. But there is something transcendent you have to accept. Um, in, in, in a more informal way, uh, he said, uh, he brought my attention to the fact, I did not know this, um, that rugby uh, is a game that was born out of soccer. Um, that one day, some guy, and I looked this up, so if you are interested, um, Webb Ellis was a student at rugby school in uh, 1897. And uh, one day when he was playing soccer, he did something that was totally against the rules. He picked up the ball and he ran. And uh, people gave him all kinds of flack to which he said, but it was a more interesting game, right? Anyway, uh, the bottom line is that rugby became its own game. So each of these games doesn't have to run by these rules. Those rules, you could say, are arbitrary. Okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna give this as much uh, credence and say they're trans or meta or super rational. But they're but they're but they're arbitrary. That in soccer you're not allowed to pick up the ball with the hands. Okay, once you know the rules of the game or the rules of chess or any other game then you could become a master player and play by those rules, but the rules themselves transcend. Okay, so now let's go back to the Rebbe says, and lahavdil is the same thing in Torah. The revealed part of the Torah um, devolved and, and came down into this world 
to such an extent that we can actually grasp it with our human intellect. And you don't necessarily have to be Jewish to be able to grasp these ideas. But in order that we should be reminded that in fact, this is godly knowledge. The Ebishter established a certain number of things in Nigla de Terra, in the revealed parts of the Torah, in such a fashion. It was established that you should not be able to understand these things in Nigla de Terra without looking at it through the prism of Primius Hatera, through the prism of the esoteric. So the exoteric would not be able to be understood without the esoteric, the Kabbalah, Hasidus. Another example that comes to mind immediately is the halacha that you have to eat on Shavuos. You can't fast on Shavuos. Now, normally you don't fast on Shabbos or Yom Tif, but there are exceptions having to do with if you have a very um, negative dream and, and um, people used to fast, take away the deleterious effects of a negative dream. But the only day that you're not allowed to fast is Shavuos. And what's so fascinating about this is that there is no, there's no reason in Nikola Tatera why this is so. The reason in Primia Satera is because Kabbalah Satera is all about the synergy of Gashmias and Ruchnias. It's all about bringing the terror down into this world, and therefore it has to be expressed in eating as it were. But that's just another example. So the Rebbe says, So the Rebbe says that by certain things being left, presented to us in a way where you can't understand it, with just your pure cognition, and you're forced to go to a more esoteric, a deeper plane, it forces us to remember that the Torah was just vested, it was just nislabesh in human seichel. Aval b'mechusa, but in essence, he seichel eloki shelemayla minifroim. But if it's God's chachma, if it's God's seichel, we have to remember constantly, it's really impossible for it to be vested in our <laughs> very finite cognition. And the Rebbe says we might say that this Pasuk under study right now is one of these things that the questions that we asked cannot be understood alpinigla. Now, but if you go to the plane of Primius Hatera, if you go to Hasidus, then you can understand why this obligation to build the parapet on the roof is connected, Dafka, to a new house. Because a new structure is a definitive feature of understanding this concept of building the mica, of building the parapet. And then once we understand how his chachos novelty, a new structure is absolutely pivotal to the whole mitzvah of mica, then we'll understand why the person who might fall, who we're, who we're trying to prevent from falling, is already called a nofel. He's already called a faller. Before he even gets up on your roof, and certainly before he falls, he's already called a faller. Gimel. Amru Chazal. Our sages taught. Beisozu Ishto. Your house is your wife. Ache Omar I never called my wife wife. I always called her my house. And this allows us to enter this innermost plane 
of the bias chadash, the new house that the Torah is speaking of here. It refers to the beginning of married life. When a person has to take upon himself the quote-unquote millstone around his neck, meaning he becomes responsible for parnasa. As his he has to invest himself in making a living. Adam Kharish, Adam Zorea, one person plows, one person seeds. Al Kah Ameris Hatter. And therefore the Torah says, Kisivne Bayis Khadash Vasisa Maka. Ma'akhashu Bayis Khadash. When you are in this position of a bayis khadash, a new home, at the very beginning of your married state, which is a Seder Vaveda Khadashim Shabahem Adayan Lokurka. And this is a new situation for you. It's a new avoda. It's a new. It's 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 a new paradigm in your life, and you're not used to it yet. Yesh lasis mape. Therefore, you must make this parapet. You must set up this safety feature. Loy dai binyane hazihirish hayu loy byfane havoda hakidnim. At this point, it's not enough for you to lean on the tier and the strictures and the parameters that were already in place in your life previously. But a person is obligated to take upon himself new cautionary measures, new parameters. He has to start a new spiritual service. He has to learn to curb his thoughts, his speech, and his actions in a whole new way now that he is in this new situation. And why is it necessary to create this allegoric ma'ake, this metaphoric gate, guard, parapet around the roof, as it were, quote unquote, because in this new state, you have entered a state of vulnerability as a faller. Rebbe says, because now this person has entered into a new state of falling, as it were, in relation to his previous state. And this is because at this point, he is forced to invest time and headspace and emotion in making a living. And so he has a whole new level of interface with the Gashmias of this world that is very similar to the general coming down of the neshama into this physical world. And therefore, we have reason to suspect and to worry that the physical material aspects of this world will drag him down. And so if he's not going to be very careful when he builds this new structure, meaning when he gets married, then not only will he not be able to complete his mandate, which is to elevate Gashmias and to make from Gashmias Ruchnias, but on the contrary, but on the contrary, the physical material aspects of this world will accelerate his fall. Okay, so if you're not going up the mountain, you're falling down. And at this pivotal moment, when you're, when you're getting married, when you're building your home, you need to put into effect new and um, uh, let's say 
uh, more stronger safety features or cautionary um, devices. Could bias be translated as home instead of house? Yeah, you're right. It should be home, not house. Thank you. Dalit. Bias, house or home, now the Rebbe takes us deeper into this idea and says that sometimes the very body is referred to as the home or the house. And in Avedis Hashem, generally speaking, each person has to engage in the Aveda of Birurim, of extricating and unleashing the sparks of divinity that are found in every physical aspect of this world. And in this way, refining their person, their body, and their part of the world that they need to refine, okay? So everybody has what's called a chalkoi shaba'ilam, a sliver, a slice, a, a part, a facet, an aspect of this world that waits for our neshama to refine it. Now, the neshama can't do this alone. It has to be in a guf, it has to be in a bias. And when the neshama comes down into a guf, this is called a new home, a new house. First of all, it's called a bias chadash because when the neshama is on high, it, 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 has no, it has no grasp of this whole idea of, of being mevar nitzutzis, of, of, of unleashing uh, these sparks and refining the physical world. So it's a bias chadash. Beis, but there's a second reason here, the Rebbe is taking us deeper yet. Okay, so now this is really, we're going to very amazing terrain here. The Rebbe says, because through the overture of the neshama coming into a guf, this is the epitome. This is true novelty. This is true chadash. Now the Rebbe is going to explain this. And it's like what is explained regarding the creation of this physical world. Even though Hasidus explains, Kabbalah explains that there are many levels in what's called Seder Hishtalshalos, the chain like um, um, process of devolution where godly light chains down in a succession of obfuscations until you get the physical world. And so there are many layers and there are many levels at which you could say, oh, there's his chachos, there's a novelty here. What's novel about this level? That here you could have already the possibility for something that is that seems to be apart from God. You could identify a something other than Hashem. And the Rebbe says in brackets, for instance, First of all, the idea, the general light that came after Tzimtzum, after the original constriction of godly light, which is the beginning of the whole Seder Shalshlis, that's already a hischachos, that's already a novel thing. Adam Kadma, Adam Kadma, which is a Kabbalistic term for God, Nikra Adam Debria, is also referred to as the man of creation, Yeshmiayin. That's hischachos. Then you have the Kalim, the spiritual vessels that hold the spiritual light. So the Kalim Datsilas, him initial Yeshmiayin. Now, the Kalim of Atsilas are also something created ex nihilo, something from nothing. Nothing. And how much more so when you come to Elam Habriya? In other words, the Rebbe is saying that in every step of Sage Shalshlos, there is something novel that occurs. Mikal Mako, but still in all, Amitius in 
but the truest, the most pristine novelty, is in the creation of this physical world. And as is well known, the aphorism that is well known, regarding the creating of a physical world from spiritual matter, there's no greater something from nothing than the creation of the physical world from, from, from the spiritual matter from which it emerged. And now the Chabbat says, and it is the same thing with our spiritual service in the physical realm. Because physical material matter really has no value in relation to spirituality. So the work that we do to refine the material and to and to make it something spiritual, who Indian shall his hachos. This is a, a whole new thing. It's a novel thing. Okay, you take something that really is nothing. Why is it nothing? Because God keeps creating the world out of nothingness every moment, every nanosecond of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every year, and so on and so forth. Okay? So really, it's nothing. What does Hashem have to do to destroy the whole world? Nothing. He has to stop recreating it which means that essentially it's nothing. But when you take it and you mevar it and you refine it and you use it for something holy, it becomes something. And this is the biggest Indian of Eschachos. And therefore, often And that's why the Torah alludes to this Aveda using the words a new house, a new home, a new structure. This is the spiritual service of novelty in the home, which is here the metaphor for the goof, for the body in which and through which our soul is able to do this. And through the combined spiritual service, we build a bias, we build a house, a home, la yisbarach for God Almighty. Hey, now, now we're, we're going into some pretty amazing terrain. Just warning you, sit tight. Hey, kashem shavayda hamura hi bederich ischachos, kein hu gam binagea la adam ha'ivit. Just like the spiritual service that we just described is novel, so too is there a novelty vis-a-vis the person. When a person does all kinds of other spiritual services, you could still qualify and quantify the service. But when a person engages in this spiritual service of elevating the physical world, then the person is elevated to a category or a, um, they're, they're elevated to a, a level that is, that is not quantifiable. This is true chiddush. But that's not it. But that's not all. But even more so. But this spiritual service of let's say taking an apple and making a bracha on it before you eat it. 
or taking a computer and learning Torah on it and through it creates a novelty on high, kavyochal, as it were. Now, look what the Rebbe does here, kemaimer chazal. Almost everybody is familiar with this aphorism from the sages that everything is in the hands of heaven, of God, except for fear of God. Okay, So this is meant to teach us that really everything about our lives has already been predestined. Our arena of choice is merely in our, in our moral choices, in our spiritual service, in our Yiras Shemayim. But look what the Rebbe is doing here. He's taking this Maimar Chazal and he's saying, The Abishter controls everything. God controls everything, except for what you do through your Yiras Shemayim. You can do something he cannot do. And like Chazal tell us, that we increase the strength of the supernal power. Through our spiritual service of creating for Hashem a dwelling place in this lower realm. And through our Avaida, we create a beautiful abode for Hashem, not just any old place where Hashem can just crash, but a dira a beautiful place. Hashem, and, and it says, the Gemara tells us that when a person lives in a place that, that is beautiful or is well-appointed, it expands the consciousness. There's something to be said about putting a little bit or maybe a little bit more than a little bit of effort into where we spend our time. Because if it's more pleasant, there's an expansiveness in, in the person's psyche through this. And when we do this, we cause this for the Adam Ha'elian Kavyachal. We cause an expansiveness of consciousness for God through our Avedah. We need to let that sink in. Mitzat Seder Shalshlos Yeshen Hagbala. Now, when you're talking about Seder Shalshlos, the Kabbalistic model of how it came to be through Tzimtzum and through obfuscation after obfuscation, where God um, shrouded and obscured that, that, that searing and unvarnished and unfettered light so that there could be Gashmias. But in this whole system, yesh hagbala, there are parameters, there are limitations. There are limitations put on God, as it were, as to how much godly light can, be, can stream into this world. There's godly light that can be drawn into the world. There is light, there's godly light that transcends the world. And there's even a higher level of light. That does not relate to the parameters of the world at all. It's completely transcendent. But through the work of B'nai Yisrael, Nef'eles Harchava, we effect an expansiveness, v'chidosh, and a novelty, that even the godly light that does not relate to the parameters of this world, and in this, in this, category. There's also the, the supernal light, the exalted light that is higher than the light that filled the cavity that was opened up through the symptom, the first symptom of God's light. And all of this through our work is nimshach lamata can come down. And so this is why it's called a bayis chadash, because it's novel, because it's completely novel and off the charts. And the Rebbe says in Vav, but we have to remember that the vessel, that the conduit for anything that is novel, hubitl, is abnegation. 
And as is known, when we talk about the idea of something being elevated, when we talk about alighting onto a higher level that is not at all related to the previous level that the person was at, there has to be this ayin before the new yesh. There has to be a place of nothingness, of abnegation. Like we learned, I think it was Reb Zera, that he fasted 40 days and 40 nights before he started learning Talmud Bavli. That in order to, to, to um, make his system receptive to, to something new. So there has to be the bitul kodem haliyah. And it's only through this bitul that the person who wants to take the next step and wants to go up becomes a kli to, to this new level they want to be at. And here the most I could do is simply translate. And this is like this idea of the pillar, Vinahar Dinor, the fiery river, There is this fiery river and this pillar, and these stand for this Indian of Bittal, that Anishama would have to traverse, you'd have to pass through this to get from the lower level of Gan Eden to the higher level of Gan Eden. And this is the innermost understanding of this idea of the parapet, of the guardrail on the roof. That in, the, in our service of Hashem, the maka that we set up, this parapet, this guardrail on the roof, are the precautionary measures that we take. And this and this comes through self-abnegation and acceptance of Hashem's yoke, even when we don't understand. If we want to alight to a higher level, to get to this novel place, the prerequisite is bitul. And if you look at um, footnote 46, mechitza ligagecha, this idea of a mechitza, of a, of, a, of a wall or a guardrail or a gate or a parapet for your roof, ratzaloymar shelcha, right? The roof is the highest part of the house, right? So when a person starts feeling like they're really important, like they're on the roof, they're on the highest level with that corner office with all the windows. So the tire is telling you, you must curb that sense of godless, of greatness about yourself. That your heart shouldn't, you shouldn't be arrogant. And now we can understand the innermost understanding of what comes after this. Like the second part of the Pasuk, which we also had a question. You should not put blood in your house, meaning you should not be responsible. The reason you have to put up this roof is because, I'm sorry, this parapet, this, this guardrail on your roof is because if you don't, then you will be responsible, God forbid, for the blood of the person who will fall from that unsafe space. So now we can understand that this is not just a reason for why you have to make the parapet, you have to make the, the, the guardrail. No, this second part of the Pasuk is a new tzivui, it's a new commandment. 
Vasisa Michael Gagecha This free has already divided this pasuk in two. The first part being the mitzvah say, the second part being the mitzvah loisaseh. But now esoterically, mipnesh inin hamaka ain't a ragedar visyog alminosli shamar minifilas haadam yipal hanaifel. It's not just that you have to put up the parapet in order that you shouldn't fall. Ella zehugam inin hamukrach baasiyas bayis chadash. Rebbe says, it's not just that when you get married, when you take on this new um, interface with the physical world, when you're cast, uh, you're forced uh, to spend more time outside of the Dalit Amas of Halacha and so on and so forth, that you have to preempt what might happen by taking on additional um, precautionary measures. But now he's saying, that the second part of the pasuk, that, that you want to preempt the faller from falling, it's, it's a mitzvah in itself. It's, it's an avoda in itself. That Micah is the only way to arrive at chadash. It's not in this explanation something that you put up as a precautionary measure so you don't fall from that new place. But what the Rebbe has done here is explain to us that you cannot get to that new place without putting those safety features in place, without bitl, without kabolas ol, without curbing your arrogance and, and, and your sense of power and prowess. And if you don't do that, then you'll certainly fall. But it's not just that we're trying to guard you against falling. It's that you cannot come to, you know, it's a little bit, to just take a very, very like silly example almost, but like if you walk into a lecture and in your mind, you've already like looked at the description and you're like, I know this, but this looks like it's less boring than the other two choices right now you will probably not hear anything new because you're walking in already thinking you know it all and, and, and therefore you're not open to anything chadash. You're not open to anything novel. It's just, it's not going to happen. So what is the lesson for all of us, practically speaking? We have to know a person is prohibited from segregating themselves and locking themselves away from the world. We are all obligated. We, it's necessary for us to build this bias, in this case being used as the the abode for God in this lower realm. The Adrab, on the contrary, it's only through coming down and engaging and interfacing with the physicality. It's only through engaging with this world that we come to the true Aliyah where we are able to create and to affect through our overtures, a true novelty in this world, when we take something, something gashmius and we transform it to something ruchmius, that's a chidush, and we create a chidush lemaila. We create something on high through our work that's not possible otherwise. But on the other hand, we have to remember that in order to do this service of transforming the physical, material, corporeal matter to spirituality, first thing we have to do is put up guardrails on the roof. We have to create this parapet, that is to say, we still have to say separated from the Gashmis of the world. 
um, Rabbi Tzvi Freeman's um, brilliant title, I think this was his first book possibly, Be Within, Stay Above. It just says it all. That's why I always love that title, so brilliant. We have to be within this world, but we have to stay above. This means that yes, we engage with this world, but they're not inherent, the, the aspects of this world that we engage with are not inherently important to us. And therefore, we always remain aloof from it. Because we know and we feel because we know and we feel that the whole reason we're engaged with this is to affect for Hashem, this dira, this abode, this dwelling place in the lower realm. And the Rebbe says, and here we have a lesson for those people who are getting ready, who are on the precipice of building a new home in the sense of getting married. From what we've explained above, we see how great marriage is. Marriage of any Jew is not just a personal lifestyle choice. In his own personal life. But this is important to God, as it were. Because this is the beginning of really making a dear And when we talk about this in two senses, in the way that we're making a dear of Hashem, and in the way in which our Aveda affects something for Hashem that he can't, as it were, do for himself. And it creates an expansiveness of the person with a capital P of, of Hashem, Kaviachal above, and Hamshachas or Chadash. And it pulls a new light. It pulls down a new light. Le'idach, on the other hand, Yeshla Das, we need to know, Asher Haderach Livnois is Habayis Chadash that we're entering something huge and amazing that affects Hashem. But we have to remember that in order to do this, to build this Bayez Chadash, there must be the maka, there must be the parapet, taking on new precautionary measures and new guardrails spiritually. Now, the Rebbe says, we would think, we have this idea, the Gemara teaches, that a chasan on the day of his marriage is absolved and forgiven and atoned for all of his previous sins. So we might think, why would he need to engage with new precautionary measures? Everything he ever did wrong has already been atoned for. He's all fresh and pure and pristine. Why at this point would he need to take on new precautionary measures? The Rebbe says no, but on the contrary, we have this lesson. Not only does he need to take on these precautionary measures prophylactically to be careful for what is coming down the pike, because he's so not used to this amount of interface with the physical world that he can fall. He can become that nofel, that faller. But the Rebbe says it's not just for that reason. It's more creating this guardrail, putting up this parapet is necessary. It's necessary to retroactively address things that he did in the past because they could, if not addressed properly, disturb or interfere with his possibility of setting up the new house. 
Because at this point, he has to be able to alight, to be elevated to a completely different level. Then the tshuva that he did before is not enough. But now there is a higher level of tshuva that is demanded of him. This is a new level of tshuva that is concomitant with this new level that he is alighting to, which is a level of bayis chadash. This is reminiscent of uh, the way in which the Rebbe explains the idea of Avedah Zara. And, and in Asikh, explains that Avedah Zara could be an Aveda that is Zara. It's strange for you today. Yesterday it was fine for you, but today is a new day. And because Malin Bakadish, because we always have to go higher, if you stay in that place, it's Avedah Zara for you. It's a strange service for your Nishama because that's not where you should be. He's saying the same thing here that the chassan, true that he was atoned for all his previous sins. But if he doesn't build that maka at this junction in his life of the bayis chadash, then things from his past can come back in the form of obstacles in proceeding in this new avayda, which has to take him to a completely new place. Tess. And the same is true in general. Uh, forget about the person that's just getting married. Now, zooming out more generally, we all need to build this parapet, this guardrail on our roof to, to keep us in a havdullah from the world. On the one hand, we must interface with this world. On the one hand, we must be within. But on the other hand, we maka tivna. We have to build up maka. We have to stay above. Yachal hulitain. A person might say, Now that he has a millstone around his neck, meaning he, you know, there's lots of things he has to engage with. Al And the Torah tells him he has to do this. How do you expect him to stay separate from the world? How do you expect him to stay above? How do you expect him to stay aloof? How do you expect him not to be sucked in? Ulam Das, the Rebbe says, but the person has to know, Adrab on the contrary. That the whole purpose spiritually of marriage in this world it's that it should come to fruition, the idea of zahu, that they are meritorious. And what happens, the Gemara says, and when they're meritorious, the shrina rests um, between them. And you might remember, I, 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 I almost have never gone to a Sheva Brachas without hearing this, um, this, this uh, Gemara from Saita uh, reference that um, ish and Isha are spelled almost the same way, but the Ish, there's a Yud, and the Isha, there's the He. And when there's Zahu, when they, when they act in a meritorious manner, then the Shekhinah, then the Shekhinah rests, then you have the Yud K together. But when you take out, when you take out Hashem's name, as it were, Khalila, when you, when you don't act in a meritorious manner, you're left with Ish, you're just left with the fire, the Aleph and the Shin that will devour you. So the Rebbe is, 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 is referencing this very famous Gemara, that there's a lot riding on the individual marriage, that that this can, this personal decision that they make is really has cosmic reverberations and can bring this new bias chadash, nisui isha beruchnias, the, the, Thus, it brings to the spiritual marriage of man and woman, which is which is between Knesset Yisrael and Hashem. And there are two aspects to marriage. Marriage is about Kedushim. It's about the way in which B'nai Yisrael become uniquely Separated onto God. 
And what happens? The flip side of this is, Masha through this, Asala Kuleyama, Kehektish. When a woman is Niskadish to a man, the flip side of this is that she becomes forbidden to the rest of the world. She is Hektish. She is set aside. She is consecrated only to her husband. The, when, when you make a person hectic, they become consecrated and separated from everything. And this happens. We become separate and consecrated to God when all of our physical material engagement with this world and all of our overtures is only metaphorically, is only for the benefit of its owner, which is Hashem. I mean, we have our work cut out for us to, to constantly um, be attentive, to try to remember that in anything we're doing, in the final analysis, it's all about lebala to benefit the owner of this bias and to affect Chadash, a novelty. To bring to fruition the, the exalted one's Kavana intention, which is to create for Hashem a dwelling place in this lower realm. Um, and, and this is our sicha for today. We should all uh, be able to find Hatzlacha Rabba in this Avaida and in all of our Avaida of Anila Daidi Vadaidi This is the month of Anila Daidi of, of uh, expressing our love for our spouse, as it were, and being ever cognizant of, of our responsibilities and our privileges in this realm. So I wish everybody a wonderful week and Kol Tov and uh, we're supposed to say, you know, we'll see each other again. Thank you. Thank you very much. Excellent.